from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, fellow humor enthusiasts. This is Chip Lutz, host of LaughBox. I am so happy that you're downloading or listening to this episode. I know you're going to get a lot from it. This week's guest, Sue Stevenson, or Scottish Sue, as she introduced herself to me and my kids, you know, several years ago. I, you know, she's a coach. She works in the world of leadership, and you know as well as I do that humor certainly has a part to play in the the world of leadership. As Dwight D. Eisenhower said, that humor is a part of the art of leadership. Uh, getting along with people and getting things done and nobody knows that better than Sue you know she she does this each and every day and what's even cooler is that Sue is actually presenting at the conference now if you haven't registered for the conference yet you want to make sure that you get it in now it's you know it's coming up very very quickly it's April 12th to the 15th in sunny sunny San Diego California the theme is resilience Uh, You're going to get a lot of content, a lot of great things, so make sure that you get registered quickly. So sit back, get ready to laugh, and get some great content. Grab a pencil and paper, because you're going to need it. Sue's got the goods. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, I get to talk to my good bud, Stu, uh, Sue Stevenson. I almost said Stu Stevenson. That's hilarious to me. Anyway, I met Sue a few years ago <laughs> in, in Philadelphia at the conference. And what what was cool about meeting Sue is that as soon as I met her, it was like I was just reconnecting with somebody it seemed like I'd known my entire life. And that um, when she introduced myself, uh, introduced herself to my kids, she's like, just call me Scottish Sue. And to this day, three years <laughs> later, they'll still ask, ask me. Hey, have you heard from Scottish Sue? How's she doing? She's she's the CEO of uh, Lifted Fog uh, Consulting and Coaching. So welcome, Sue, to LaughBox. Thank you, Chip. And, you know, it's exactly the same when I met you. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I think we've known each other in another life. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I don't know if that was in Scotland or not. Maybe it was uh, someplace else. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think you've got some Scottish blood in you. It could be. It could be. I did my DNA test not too long ago, and it uh, all came back in um, the whole English-European realm, which we all thought that pretty much everybody in our family was from Germany. But that's not the case. DNA doesn't lie. Or maybe it does. Mm. I don't know. There's probably some guy. There's probably some guy. I just did mine. Yeah, I there's probably some guy in down in his basement just like making up the results there's no real science there's, <laughs> yeah. no, there's no real science behind it he's just like oh, I'm, gonna really, I'm really gonna mess these people up here <laughs> well no actually mine were so true that i don't think he, he he wasn't messing with mine i i just wanted it to come up 100 percent scottish because who is 100 percent anything and it was 99.8 so that was pretty close <sighs> Holy crap! That's amazing. Going all all the way back to William Wallace. Way back, yeah. And so we we say through and through Scottish. <laughs> that is awesome. Now I know we've had an opportunity to talk and, and chat a little bit. But for our listeners, if you could give them a little bit about who you are and you know what you do, that would be awesome. Um, okay, uh, so I am Scottish. Um, I'm a potato 
farmer's daughter, and as we say, we say tai, tai. So tai is a potato. So just think it's potato and you tai, very close. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so I know everything you ever want to know about the potato, um, including a father who's an expert and a brother who just finished running the British Potato Board. So we know everything about chips and French fries, as you call them, and everything potato. Um, so that was my upbringing, and uh, I, I actually have a strange upbringing. So as long as this is not my father never listens to this, and I can say it, uh, um, I was brought up to really become like one of those people in Downton Abbey. Have you ever seen Downton Abbey, Chip? No, I haven't. All right. It's just this – a lot of people probably have. It's this very, very British – upmarket, you know, posh, kind of royalty-ish family who lived in a posh house. And one of the things, they have these bells. So in every, in their kitchen, they have a whole wall or in the, the staff quarters, they have this wall of bells. So if, you know, lady whatever is in the morning room and she wants some tea, she pulls her bell. Mm-hmm. And so some maid scurries up there and gives her her tea. Well, my grandmother had those bells. <laughs> she didn't live in a big fancy house, but she had those bells, and she would ring them for tea. So um, I would have to go to her house every Sunday, and the whole intent was to groom me to be ready for marriage. That was really all a girl was born for. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and uh, and you know, her view was that it had to be royalty. So it wasn't just any marriage. It was royal marriage. So I learned how to get out of a car without showing my knickers. I learned how to... Um, you know, use knife and fork properly and lay a table with the ruler and measuring everything out. So that was really my whole upbringing. So whenever there was like these men would come over, like my grandfather and my father's business partners, and they're going to talk business. My older brother was invited and I never was. So I would sneak in with my grandfather's help. I'd sneak into the drawing room and hide behind the sofa. I lived behind that sofa a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. That is great. What did you learn behind the sofa? <laughs> well, um, I learned that there was a whole world that women were never supposed to know. <clears throat> um, and I plotted how I could just get out and escape. <laughs> and <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. I mean, I wasn't even allowed to take over the farm because women don't, you know, women don't take over tenancies. Women don't do anything. So I, I escaped. And for me, at the time, rebellious meant I went to the furthest away university, which was Aberdeen, and I studied how to become a teacher, which was almost okay. It was kind of on the verge. It wasn't as good as cordon bleu cooking or a finishing school, but it was close. And yeah. I got away with it. <laughs> that's interesting. Now, it's surprising that, you know, uh, I didn't know that about Scotland, that it was that um, that way that you, you, you would be groomed. Because I would think with having, you know, going back to, you know, uh, Mary Queen of Scots, that, you know, you've had women queens, mm-hmm. that certainly, you know, they would be a little more evolved as far as women would go. You would think so. Yeah. I, I will be honest, though. I think other places are. I've come from a particular – my father's very patriarchal. 
Um, so, and I think, and he keeps saying, well, the West Coast of Scotland, and w for example, I know this is, we're really going far from humor, but when my mum died and I was at the funeral, he said, now you should be lucky that you're allowed to be at the graveside. If you were in the West of Scotland, you would not be allowed at the graveside as a woman. Really? Saying, Come on. Come on. Wow. That's <laughs> um, but I think that's just the up, it's, it's a kind of um, upmarket, kind of a wealthier perspective, wealthier male, white male perspective. Mm -hmm. Other people in Scotland also find that very weird. So it's not a Scottish thing, really. Okay. Now, how did you get into what you're doing now with, you know, coaching and consulting? Because that's, that's a far cry from, you know, starting out on a potato farm. <laughs> well, you know, everything was just, as, how do I get far away? So obviously now I live in San Diego. I'm probably the furthest away I could be. I did go to Australia, actually. That was far. Yeah. Um, but they threw, they threw me out after my year was up. Um, so I had to go back. <laughs> they were like, "Sorry, and then I we only take we only take criminals here. You got to leave." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so back to Scotland. What am I going to do anyway? So um, I eventually, having I mean, I got into everything was about uh, how people learned. So everything I ever have done is about how people learned. So having been a teacher and I taught for a couple of years, I then and yeah, that has all sorts of humor. I mean, I have a lot of funny stories about teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and things that I did wrong, so we can come back to that if necessary. But I, um, when I went to Australia, I was selling door to door, and they told us on the first day that if we said anything negative, we were fired. And I had no idea what that meant, far less doing it. Uh -huh. And then we get all get in this big car like a van, and we're driving way out of Sydney into the country or down to down to the actually to oil refinery area. And somebody said they were cold. And the, the guy driving looked at her like, watch it. I thought, oh, oh, that must be negative. And she said it again. And he stopped the car, threw her bags out. She, she was out in the middle of nowhere, gone. So I thought, oh, that's negative. Wow. So I began really stopping to think, what am I about to say? Is it positive? Is it negative? Because the Scots are incredibly negative. Uh -huh. um, and that was kind of the beginning of me just thinking before I speak on everything, but just thinking, how will this affect the person I'm talking to? How will being positive, how does that change? And I just, that was kind of a start of a, a thought process and a, a thinking about our mindset ever since. Wow. So that was a start. All from just abandoning some person in the country. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. their, their loss, your gain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I know that you're going to be presenting at the conference and, you know, in talking to you, you said yeah. that it's uh, about brain pain, which in, when I think about that, I think about somebody sticking a nail in my head. So if you could, <laughs> which doesn't sound pleasant to me at all, but you know, what, is, no. what, what are some things we can expect from that? I mean, it sounds like, you know, it sounds pretty fascinating. I want to know a little bit more. Okay. So, um, I'll kind of go I'll tell you a little story that kind of um, will explain. I'll probably tell this story in, at the conference too. Um, I ha at one point, it just seemed that a lot of people around me were getting they were getting diagnosed with brain issues, whether it's brain tumors, brain bleeds, brain um, PTSD, lots of things going on with people's brains. And I just began getting fascinated by the brain. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
particular friend that I'd known for years was in the brain tumor ward of the local hospital. So I, you know, I wanted to go visit him and I'm in there and he's wired up with all this stuff and big scars in his head, you know, shaved head and not looking good. And I thought, what can I do? You know, how on earth can I leave, leave this visit with him feeling better? Uh-huh. And I just thought it has to be humor. How can I bring humor? So I, I just said to him, I said, you know, what we need to do with anything we find in our head that's alien, we just need to tell it to, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, Chip, but anyway, you can dub me out, piss off <laughs> whatever's in our brain. Tell it to get lost. Uh-huh. So he began saying, I mean, his speech wasn't great, but he's going, piss off, piss off, piss off. And the guy next to him behind the curtain pulled back his curtain and went, can I tell mine to piss off too? Piss off! And it spread. <laughs> all the way around this ward of people with brain tumors and they all began telling their brain tumors to piss off and it was getting louder and louder oh what have i done but they were laughing it was like total hysterical laughing laughter throughout this ward of people who i don't think even talked because it was silent when i arrived Uh and then the surgeon the neurosurgeon came in and what's all this noise and uh, when he realized what I, what we were doing or what I'd started, he, he was actually very pleased because he said most of those people haven't laughed, you know, in weeks or months. Right. So I just began seeing the power of that laughter. Well, I guess in some ways, I mean, when you're able to tell that brain tumor or whatever to piss off, it almost gives you an element of control mm-hmm. over it. Instead of like sitting back yes. and moping around about things and, you know, oh, woe is me. Just like you're almost taking controls like piss off. that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Um, and, and then they began doing it. And, you know, even I remember I arrived another time to visit and they were already saying it. Piss off! So I'm going, <laughs> oh, wow, what have I started? <laughs> See, if I would have walked in on that, I just would have thought I would have said, but I just got here. Why are you tell me to piss off? See, I would have taken, <laughs> taken it personally. That's amazing. So, I mean, so after that, I mean, he was, did that help him, you know, just feel better about things? Um, he said it did, you know, I can only go on that. Um, you know, he said that uh, he just felt, you know, whenever he was feeling low, he would just start telling it to piss off. And it just, it just lifted him up a little bit and cheered him up and even you know when his, he had a lot of fog or he couldn't think clearly he mm-hmm. always remembered to say piss off <laughs> it was easy um, it's almost so. like almost like Tourette's <laughs> you just you know just, yes, just exactly just yelling it out there all the time I like that next time I go to the doctor I'm gonna... but you can imagine a total stranger walking down that corridor and hearing all these brain tumor patients going piss off piss off <laughs> <laughs> That would be that would be amazing. And so, what are some uh, uh, in your session when people are uh, are there? Well, we let's let's go back to what you're talking about in your some of your trials and tribulations and teaching and getting where you're going to go. Because you said that you know, I guess a lot of things there's we find we find humor in them uh, after the fact. You know, when we're going through it, it's like oh, this sucks so bad. But afterwards, it's like oh my gosh, that was so hilarious. So look at back yeah. when you first started teaching. I mean, what were some of those things you learned the hard way that are just hilarious now? Um, well, one was, um, I mean, yeah, I learned so much about how not to, I teach nowadays about creating threat in the brain mm-hmm. and how a lot of leaders, without, you know, without having the intent to create threat, 
um, do. And you know, we talk about social pain and physical pain. But when I was a, an elementary school teacher, the good kids generally had to come and sit at the, sorry, sit at the back, and the bad kids always had to come to the front because I could see them. <laughs> and these, you know, were eight, nine-year-olds. I was always at the front, by the way, just so you know. Yeah. I would imagine so, Chip. You would be the front row of my class. So these kids in the back, you know, they didn't, they they always knew the answer. They were the super smart, but they were also some of the quieter kids. And I remember one day it was really, really cold and it was, I'd actually skied to school that day because it was snow and I couldn't make it on the road. And um, it was so cold that there was this boy and this girl, both um in different rows, but they both had a hand on the radiator because they were just cold and it was beside them. And I remember saying, I just regret to this day saying it. I think I scarred them for life. And I just said something like, hey, you two at the back, no holding hands. <laughs> and they were the shyest, quietest girl and boy. They were bright red, the whole class. And I have a funny feeling they got bullied after that about holding hands because they were not. I mean, they didn't even know each other very well. And I just remember thinking, careful what you say. And I really believe that I probably caused some harm with those kids. And it was only later when I began learning a lot about social pain when I realized just what, what I might have done. Well, but you might have done, you might have done the church a favor. They, may, they might have become a nun and a priest. Who knows? Maybe. Or maybe they married. I have no idea. I don't know where they are to this day. You could beat yourself up about it. Or you could say, oh, you know, perhaps I did a good there. Maybe I did something good for her. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but fast forward, so, you know, I teach a lot. So I'm actually doing probably half my time. Uh, probably, yeah, half my time is facilitating either live or virtually, all about the brain. And the other, most of the rest of my time is coaching. So I'm an executive coach. I, I'm on the phone mainly, although I have some clients face-to-face. -face. So I have clients, you know, I start off in the morning with um, usually like, Frankfurt or Zimbabwe and my clients there and then I work towards the East Coast and I work across the US and then hopefully I have time to stop and eat and then I start with Asia and Singapore come online and Australia and so I coach um, like that and so what I'm often working with are leaders who you know they're almost successful they're all people who are doing well but they there are unintended consequences so I'll give you an example. One of my clients um, last week, and he's a CEO of a software company, and he told me that, he said, Sue, I have to fire my, my sales director. I went, well, why? I thought he was the strongest member of your team. He went, he was. He said, but this week he was giving a presentation about the strategic plan, and he just was going on and on. So I told him, you know, are you a child? Can you not get this? Just move on. And he said suddenly he began not being able to speak properly. He just began mumbling and, and losing his place and having to look at his notes. He said he just got worse. He said I was justified in my view that he had to leave. So I asked the guy, I said, did you think you played any role in that? And he went, what do you mean? I wasn't up there presenting. <laughs> and I said, you know, may I share a little bit about the brain of, the, of the, your sales director? And he went, sure. Anyway, after a while and some discussion, which he did open up his thinking, he suddenly, by the end of it, his conclusion was, he says, okay, I, not, I get it now. I should never, if I want somebody to close down, 
to not be able to think and not be able to perform anymore, then I need to shout at them in, in public and embarrass them and humiliate them. I get it. <laughs> that is, and now, what a difference. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, that is really interesting to me that um, – because you know my view on leadership is it's I don't think there are any secrets to leading except that it's all about people and that how you connect with people how you support people I mean that's the that's the only real secret to people into to leading right. and so it's just amazing to me that he um like I, I would have thought that immediately you know if I you know barked and I was really frustrated and the person shut down I was like oh man what an asshole I am and you know but it's you know it's good that he had you to help him through the process because not everybody thinks like that yeah so that's awesome that you were wow. helping yeah. me see that a little bit differently. And that happens so many times. Um, leaders don't understand that our brain just hasn't evolved and it's still there to keep us alive. And anything they do that causes somebody some social pain in our context today, like bullying or humiliation or kids who have these you know, people being nasty to them on Facebook, all of those actions cause the same part in the brain to light up as if we were physically hurt or physically break our leg or punched the same thing I mean people talk about loneliness and they talk about it you know it's in their gut they just feel it but it's really um, just this social pain in their brain that's amazing that I, I didn't realize that the the that social aspect, like being on so, online, would have the same effect that if you were, you know, right there in person. That's, you know, that's that's amazing to yes. me. Yeah. You know, so, oh, yeah. So social pain. How would you just? What is the? the help me understand the the definition of that. So it's 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 a pain that uh, reduces your status in a social social context, and social really means any interaction with another human. Okay. So any relationship or interaction with our humans, that is a social. So even at work, all interactions, they are social. And when um, we, you know, we're mainly that you know, somebody attacks us, they criticize us, they judge us, especially in public, then we, um, this part of our brain lights up and different people respond to it in different ways. And they've, they actually put people under, you know, functional magnetic resonating machines, fMRIs, and they can see um, the physical pain center because they'll maybe do something like, you know, stick a needle in their arm or do something that causes a little bit of pain to see which part in that person's brain. And then they'll do, like, there's a, UCLA is doing fabulous research, um, a guy called Matt Lieberman and Naomi Eisenberger. And they have, for example, there's a game called Cyberball people are put inside machines um so let one individual's put in a machine they're told they're going to play with two other students and they're going to play a game of ball and all they have to do is with their hands on a control is they just have to make pass the ball mm -hmm. and uh and then I, so they're, they're lying on this machine you know they're looking at their brain and then suddenly the other two people stop passing the ball and they're excluded the ball just stops coming to them at all uh-huh and immediately this part of the brain lights up. Fast and furious, this pain center lights up. Same place as I said, the physical pain. And then afterwards they'll ask them, they'll, they'll let them know that actually they were just playing avatars, they weren't even real people. Then they'll give them a, a survey and they'll ask them what emotions they felt. And the words are really strong. Things like, I felt um, humiliated, 
I I felt um, belittled. I was angry. I was um, I was mad. I was. Uh, you know, people just use very strong language, and yet they know at that point that it was just a game in a computer game with no human, mm-hmm. and they still use that language. Wow, that is fascinating. Yeah. I did, yeah, but it explains it explains a lot. I would imagine that you know, say going back to that, you know, the sales manager that in that kind of situation mm-hmm. that you know maybe he had faced some kind of been in that some kind of situation like that before, and with that boss yelling at him, you know, maybe it, it was reminiscent of something else that he had gone through previously, and that you know all those things just kind of like flash back for him. And, you know, be like, I, I didn't want to be in this position. I don't want to be here. And then it's just made him stumble a little bit more. You know, I know that's been the case for me a lot of times so that if I'm in a, right. a, a social situation and it's very similar to something I've been in before, it's like, oh, this isn't going to go well. And I need, a, I, need a, I, need right. a, I need to recuse myself right away. Otherwise, I'm going to get hurt in some way. Right. But in fact, it's not just triggering off an earlier memory. It can be a totally new situation that you've never been in before. It can be either. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so strong. And so I, I have a lot of, so when I'm teaching people, a lot of it is, is about helping them see how the smallest of things can cause such an amazing human reaction that is normal. Uh-huh. And therefore, once they accept that it's normal, then they can begin to um, lighten up about it or they can begin to have a different mindset and they begin to see things differently than they did before. Um, so that's how I spend a lot of my time. Wow. No, all right, so let's, let's, let's veer over to the humor side of things. I mean, let's look at it on, on two, different, two, different okay. realms, two different realms here. All right, so if... Um, you say like with that boss and you know he was the one that was you know kind of you know, making the situation bad for the sales manager um, if he wanted to change that up a little bit because it could he have used uh, humor to do that a little bit differently like if he had already stepped on his, his popo so to speak and gotten his you know made the situation worse I mean how could have he made it a little bit better and then secondly you know if you're in that kind of social pain situation you know, what are the things you can do to make it better for yourself? Um, because you, know, you can't control all those other people that are causing the pain. I mean, but you can control what you do. So what are some things you can do for, for you in that kind of situation? Does that make sense, those questions? Yep, great question. So the first one, how could the first guy made it better? Probably in the moment, there's very little other than becoming self-deprecating. So if that leader had noticed, or if he was doing it again because it's hardwired and he hasn't yet changed his habits, if he noticed himself doing it again, if he was to say in the moment, oh, I'm doing this again, I didn't mean to you know, put you down there. You're doing a great job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just, I, you know, I had a bad morning or, you know, this is just me, I'm, I'm in a habitual. And if they did something to put themselves down, mm-hmm. that might create enough lightness. Okay. But probably not much else. I can that see that. Situation. I can see that. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that as a leader, I mean, that is the easiest way to connect with other people, a little self-deprecating humor that if yeah. you know, you're able to laugh at yourself, it gives other people an opportunity to laugh at themselves. It almost gives them permission to do that. Right. I mean, it is that permission. Um, and in fact, when I'm coaching, um, I assess a lot of coaches. So one of my missions in life is to up the standard of 
of coaching worldwide because I keep noticing people coming in and they just hang a sign out and say I'm a coach and I go oh what training did you get how many years have you been doing it that's that's um, a sign, I, that's so, a sign I have on my door outside <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah I'm sure you've got training Chip. I'm sure you do um, but a lot of people don't have training and I'm thinking how oh, they're calling themselves a coach it's a really complex thing to do mm-hmm. and um, one of the so I'm an assessor so I assess a lot of coaches to see if they meet the standard for whatever purpose. Um, and one of the categories uh, that we coach, one of the competencies is called um, building trust and intimacy. And that's about building that relationship, building the rapport, getting somebody to feel that they're in the in-group and that they, you're using the same neural networks for trust. Mm-hmm. And one of the sub bullets is creating lightness and energy. So, I assess people as a coach on how well they create. And, and so instead of, so it's really humor, but we call it lightness and energy. Mm-hmm. So I equate that with humor because it does the same, I believe, to your brain, to your immune system, and to your mindset. Uh, and I like the fact that you brought in the whole in-group thing because uh, people don't realize mm-hmm. that there are in-groups and out-groups you know, within, within, oh, yeah. a, within a circle. And that's a lot of times you you, the, you love those people in your in-group because they just get you. They get you. They understand you. It doesn't take a lot to communicate to them. But then the out-group people end yep. up feeling ostracized. And so I love that you brought that up yes. because I think a humor is a great bridge on that, on that if yes. you can use a little bit of humor and bring the out-group into the in-group and you can connect with them a little bit uh, more, you then, uh, yes. in my opinion, kind of expand your in-group a little bit. You know, so, you know, maybe yes. they understand you a different way. Yeah, and that group is directly related back to that social pain. So if you can avoid somebody feeling that social pain and bring them into the in-group, absolutely. So, um, and, and another thing I was just going to that came to mind there was um, I, I'm also an elite coach for the Navy SEALs. Um, oh. I know you've got a military background yourself. Yeah, this is a new thing I've been doing as Navy SEALs and all special ops. Um, mm-hmm. So we have some Marines, we have some others. And uh, so um, we work with them. Um, as they transition out, and it's a really, it's kind of a, a really fabulous program. It's called the Honor Foundation, mm-hmm. and every every fellow has a coach. So I met with my fellow yesterday, and I was trying to help. We're trying to talk about the language. What language is he still using as he goes out to begin to network? Has he yet got a, enough of a grasp of how to translate his military language to civilian language? And so we got to the subject of humor, and he said, well, what can I or can't I say in an interview or in the workplace? What's acceptable? And that was a really hard question because I don't right. you know, it's going to – it will depend. <laughs> um, and then he began telling us stories, you know, obviously I'm not going to identify him at all, but, you know, in Iraq, and he told me a story of a really, really awful situation and how it, he, when he arrived, it was going very wrong. Mm-hmm. And he used humor, um, but in a very brutal way. But he did use humor, and he they were able to turn the whole situation around using humor. That's interesting. I mean, with the, especially with the military group, you say you know I 20, I did twenty two years in the Navy, and I'll tell you that the humor within the military it's it's pretty warped in a lot of different ways. And there are a lot of things yeah. that I think are really really funny that I don't share with other people because I know that. I've got a different mindset. I have a different mindset 
but it is one of those things that, you know, in a tough situation, you know, sometimes harsh humor, you know, kind of, you know, it, it, it focuses people. And it, I don't want to say yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's a male dominated world. And so the humor can be a little more, uh, mm-hmm. can be a little more, uh, can yep. be a little more brutal, but it's one of those things that yeah. it brings people closer together. You make fun of each other a little bit more. Um, right. and it's all it's uh, tongue in cheek and you know that it's not really serious, but it's one of those things that you use as kind of sometimes a tool to connect, sometimes a tool to correct, but it is, it is, a, it is a, it is a great tool. Well, I, I'm in the middle of reading a book, which is about humor from the Navy SEALs. Um, and a lot of that is practical joking. Um, mm. You know, the more I read, or the, maybe it's all they could publish. I don't know. But it is, <laughs> a lot of it is about <laughs> about the practical jokes and what they did to each other. And, and uh, uh, so it's, it's just my way of trying to understand the humor and trying to, you know, get inside the mindset of a, of a Navy SEAL which I'll never do, but at least I can try. <laughs> well, well, you're doing fabulous work. I mean, I, just the, helping people change their their uh, vocabulary from military civilian is, is a trial just in and of itself. Because, you, know, you know, you're, when yeah. you're in the military, your whole life is acronyms. So when you're trying to explain to somebody what something is, but, you know, all you, you know, this is, you know, and you're talking, you're talking military, they're looking at you like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. So that's fascinating. Right. Now, on the opposite yep. end, you know, if, you know, say you're that sales manager and, you know, you just got your, your butt handed to you on a platter from your boss and you've been, you know, you know, I, what are some things you can do to help yourself kind of bounce back from that, you know, be a little more resilient because it, it happens to all of us. I mean, we all at some point in time mm-hmm. have some kind of big mistake, get yelled at and, you know, it's we can repeat it in our head and feel real crappy about it, or, you know, we can do something else. But to me, it's still back to the more that somebody understands and if they understand that their response. So if I had the chance ever to talk to that sales director, I would help him understand that his response was totally and utterly normal mm-hmm. and that almost anybody in the same situation would respond the same way. So immediately he um, had a chance to kind of reappraise the situation as it was and not think it was just he was awful and he deserved it and something that, as you said, might linger for a long time in his brain. Mm-hmm. So I would just try to help them to look at it, reappraise it, reframe it, look at it and say, well, you know, look at it over distance. If you were to look back at this in five years, would you look at it the same way? And they go, no, of course not. And just get somebody to understand a little bit about that brain response and how almost anybody would be would do the same and how it's normal and then I mean I've got other things I work with people to try to help them um, again just ground themselves get back in the present not worry about the past or the future and just be right there in the moment and 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 just feel um, how they want to feel awesome yeah, because I have a lot of things like that in my past where I, I will replay in my head. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think that's kind of human nature. We just kind of, you know, replay things, mistakes. And, you know, the person that they say was the perpetrator of that social pain, they've gone on. They didn't even think about it. They didn't, even, you know, didn't even realize they did it. You know, however, for us, we're still replaying it in our heads. So having a, a couple strategies to help me, you know, bounce back is always right a good thing always a good thing and yeah and most of the time i bet you when you're thinking about it in your head or anyone else they are thinking what they did wrong they feel it was their fault 
Mm-hmm. So that's why I try to help them redirect and say, actually, no, it wasn't your fault at all. This was someone else. So poor them, not poor you. you know? Right. Well, I tell you what, I mean, you are like, man, you're super smart. And I love your views on leadership. I love, I, I, I love leadership, you know, period. And I love talking to people that mm-hmm. also, you know, like leadership. So I, I, I like that. Now, if people after today want to find you, where do they, where do they, where can they find you, Sue? Um, I definitely um, LinkedIn is probably one of my primary places that I communicate with people. So that's a, not that I'm that fast. I travel an awful. I've been home four days and actually five days in the last five weeks. Wow. So, um, and I live in a boat, which means that uh, it's not always easy for me to find everything as quickly as as normal. Um, however, so I'm a little bit behind on my LinkedIn. Either that, my web page is, is more just tells you a little bit about what I do, but it needs updating. So LinkedIn is still probably the primary place, or someone can just email me. And what's your email? Uh, SueStevenson13 at gmail.com. Okay. Well, I want to make sure I got that out there so people you know, yeah. knew what it was. Great. Um, yeah. well, I'm looking forward to your session at the conference, and I know that our listeners, if they're coming to the conference, I mean, they should certainly come to your, to your session because you certainly know your stuff, and you're, just, you're engaging. You're fun to listen to, and you've got you know, lots of great stuff to share. So I appreciate you sharing some time with me yeah. today. Well, thank you. I enjoyed chatting with you, Chip, and I, I look forward to seeing you. In our home, I can walk, by the way, from, from my boat. I know that uh, Heidi, um, you know, the conference organizer, talks about people walking from the airport. I'm halfway from the airport to the hotel. I will be walking um, easily. Uh, so I look forward to welcoming you and everybody else to San Diego. So if I walk from the airport, I can stop by your boat for a drink before I you get to the hotel. You absolutely can. It's on the way. Amen. Amen, Sister Sue. (laughs) We're there. (laughs) All right, my friend. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Chip. Take care. What I tell you, great stuff from Sue, right? Uh, Smart, eloquent, knows her stuff. And if you come to the conference, you'll get a meter. Now, I'm going to encourage you to go to our Facebook page, you know, our AATH Facebook page, there's some other great conference previews on there from different speakers. And if you got something you want to hear on the podcast, shoot me an email, chip at unconventionalleader.com. That's chip at unconventionalleader.com. Um, I'm happy to you know field any questions or maybe you've got an idea somebody should be on the podcast. I'd love to hear about that as well. So shoot me an email. Um, if you got something, hey, this is the coolest thing about humor, I'd be happy to share that at the end of the podcast as well. So make sure you register for the conference, and I look forward to meeting you in person. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit LaughBox.AATH.org.